Wilderness Path, a novel by Amaria Jane Schneider. Chapter Two, Hidden Valley. Sun rising and his family lived beside a stream in Hidden Valley, tucked quietly between two sharply pointed hills. The hills merged into a crooked slope to form a narrow entrance into the valley. Through that entrance threaded the Oli path and a small stream. From the first memory recorded on their clan's wampum, this land, and indeed all the lands stretching east to the big sea, had belonged to the Leni Lenape, the original people. Fathers repeated the story of the tribe's wanderings to their sons. At the end of all the water, the great spirit, Manitou, lived. We lived at the far end of the water, but evil appeared and we had to move. So we kept moving ever toward the sunrise, crossing a very large river until we came to where the sun meets the ocean. This became our home the home of the Leni Lenape. The pattern of Lenape days and years was ever the same. Sons followed their fathers into the woods to learn to hunt bear and deer. They waded into the streams to spear trout and pickerel, even by torchlight at night. Daughters followed their mothers into the fields to plant and harvest their three sisters' corn, beans, and squash. They learned how to roast and grind the corn for Sindamwakin, the food the men carried when hunting. All delighted when the corn mother brought them good harvests. Grandfathers and grandmothers were treated with respect and their advice sought. Chatting to each other by village fires, the grandmothers wove strings of hemp or baskets of reeds, while the grandfathers carved wooden bowls or made bows and arrows. In summer, the Lenape danced and sang. During the winter snows, they told stories. But from across the big sea came the pale people, the Shuanuk, with their loud noises and strange ways. They took the land for themselves and put fences around it, fences that kept the Lenape from walking on the sacred ground. They turned the Lenape trails into their own roads they built sturdy houses that could not be moved. They brought with them strong drink and sicknesses that the Lenape medicine men could not heal. At first, only a few ships appeared at the Salt Sea. Then, many came. No longer did the land belong to the Manitou, the Great Spirit. No longer could the Lenape wander where they pleased. No longer did the Lenape hunters travel the Oli path through Hidden Valley to Makanji for their flint. Many fled west to the Susquehanna River. Those who traveled the Oli Path came only to bid their farewells. We will stay here, Sunrising told them. My sons are coming into their manhood and my daughters are old enough to help their mother in the fields. Sunrising, you are a fool to stay here, his Lenape brothers said. Where will you find wives for your sons or husbands for your daughters? Very soon you will be here all alone. And so they were alone, the small family in Hidden Valley, in the time of the cooling moon. The valley had the look of late autumn, 
austere and mournful before the winter snow. Pacing back and forth, sunrising scanned the horizon and watched the setting sun through the bare branches. He picked up his quiver of arrows, ran his fingers along their feathers, then put the quiver on the ground. Bright feather pounded corn in preparation for the feast. Come, sit by the fire, my husband, she said. There's little we can do until he returns. But it has been three days, my wife. Do you think he is lost? No, he is too good a tracker, he continued to pace. Perhaps he met a wounded bear who mauled him, and even now he is dying as he struggles to come home. An older man left his place by the fire. His horse, tied to a tree, stamped impatiently. Quiet horse, called the man. You will disturb sun rising as he worries about his firstborn. Stay, my cousin Silverwolf, sun rising said. Although your horse and your gun are not welcome in Hidden Valley, we offer you the hospitality of our family and the feast that will celebrate my son's manhood. The horse whinnied. My horse is our sentinel, said Silverwolf. Here comes your firstborn with deer meat in his pack. Brightfeather stopped her pounding. She waited silently. Bent under his heavy pack, a young man came slowly down the path toward the bark house. He carried himself with the calm assurance of one who had successful hunting. His deerskin shirt and leggings were splattered with blood. Before this day, his brothers and sisters would have run to greet him, but not this homecoming. They gathered round their mother. Sunrising looked with pride at his son. He remembered the small boy who had followed him everywhere, his shadow, listening, learning, walking with him stride for stride until his young legs could carry him no farther. That small boy, now grown, came toward him with strength in his arms and endurance in his legs. My son, you have entered your manhood well. Not every son comes home with such success. Did you also bring home your name? Bending down, the young man released the pack strap from his forehead. Almost as tall as sun rising, he had to lift his eyes only slightly to meet his father's steady gaze. I had a dream the night after I killed the buck. I brought home my name and a message from the Manitou. Sit down by the fire, my son, and let us hear your name and your message from the Great Spirit. Then we will have our feast of celebration. Only then did the young man ask for a drink from the gourd. His mother quickly gave it to him. As he drank, his family gathered around him. Even Silverwolf moved closer. He hesitated, then began. I dreamed that the fallen buck came back to life and ran toward the western sun. I trailed him through many woods. Suddenly, I was being followed by many laughing Shoanuk with their horses and guns. As they reached me, I thought they were going to shoot me, but they shot the buck instead. I was alone beside a wide river without any meat to bring home. He paused, waiting until his father nodded for him to continue. When I awoke, the buck's antlers were at my feet, pointing west.
And your name? The father asked. What name did you bring home? The son looked at his mother, smiling quietly, his younger brother and sisters at her side. He looked at Silver Wolf on the fringes of the circle. He looked especially at his brother. Then he looked at his father. My name will be Wandering Deer. In my dream, the Manitoul told me to leave Hidden Valley and move west with the others. Rising and walking from the circle, he said, there is no life for us in Hidden Valley. The Shuanook have taken our best hunting lands. The Oli Valley is covered with their farms. I will go with Silver Wolf, first to the Tulpahawken, then to the wide river. I will get a gun. To continue the old ways is not wise, father. Sunrising faced his son. You would leave our family? You would get a gun? He turned away. This is no dream from the Manitou. These are Silver Wolf's babblings. The Manitou does not want us to leave this valley. He does not want us to have horses or guns. But can we not hunt easier and faster with horses and guns? Sunrising looked off to the distance. This valley is our home. Our ancestors are buried here. This sacred ground was given us by the Great Spirit. How can we leave it? If we turn from the old ways, we will be lost. Father and son faced each other in silence. Neither moved. Brightfeather sat with hands folded as her children huddled closer to her. A morning dove cooed in the distance. Sunrising raised his arm as if to strike, then dropped it limply. Go now with Silver Wolf. He turned to his wife. Brightfeather, there will be no feast, for I have no son who has returned, only a young dreamer who does not know what he is dreaming. He walked away from the fire, down the path, and into the woods. Silently, Brightfeather placed deer meat on the roasting stick over the fire. But we must eat, she thought. Even those who will leave us need to eat. As she turned the meat, she hoped her children would not sense the tears streaming from her heart. I hope you've enjoyed chapter two, uh, The Hidden Valley. Uh, it is my intention to share a bit after each chapter or after a few chapters. As I previously stated in the first um, recording, that this book, when I started reading it the second time with my daughter in Berks County, in the lands where this historical fiction takes place, um, synchronizations between the book and our lives began, began coming alive. Um, things like we would make a decision one day and then that night in the book at bedtime when we, when we would read, um, it, that decision would be reflected back to us. Or when we learned something about the area, um, that would come up in the book that night. So uh, there's, there's some coincidence and synchronization that I would like to share with you um, at the end of each chapter or a couple chapters at a time.
So even now, as I'm reading this book for a second and half, third time, I, if you go and listen back to chapter two, um, I kind of stuttered or paused on the first page where it says, at the end of all the water, the great spirit Manitou lived. And, um, you know, part of my journey in life in the past few years has been going deep into my ancestry and uh, my heritage. So that in, that involves also just simply the geomancy or the, the land where my the body of my being came out into the world, which was in Woodbridge, Virginia. And it was in a hospital that was on the Occoquan River. Um, this is also important to me um, because my beloved is a synchromistic historian of the Susquehanna River, which empties out into the Chesapeake Bay, and the Occoquan River empties into the Chesapeake Bay. It's a tributary of the Chesapeake Bay. Um, and maybe later I'll get into some history of the ecology of the Chesapeake Bay, but for now I'm going to try to stay focused on the Occoquan River. Uh, in, in native tongue, Occoquan means at the end of all the water. And I thought, wow, that's, that's interesting, but what does that mean to the native people? Um, I know I could feel intuitively and also, you know, rationally and logistically, they, they didn't just randomly assign names to things. And when they did have names that meant Occoquan, with, that meant a phrase for us in English, at the end of all the water, it held weight. It had a deep, significant meaning beyond this realm, that is beyond this material, physical realm that we walk in. Um, and so I, I've been searching for what, what does at the end of all the water mean? And here in my, uh, in my dear friend and you know, not technically, but I'm going to just start to call her my great aunt um, because I feel that kindredness and it's close enough, you know. Uh, in the first segment, I talked about how she is my, uh, Mary Jane Schneider is my uncle's partner's mother. So I'm going to just call her my great aunt from now on without any uh, explanation. So here, my great aunt has a piece of the mystery, a piece of the puzzle for me, and this is just unfolding right now in this moment as I read chapter two to um, the listeners. At the end of all the water, the great spirit Manitou lived. And so they named this river where I was born, I was born essentially on the Occoquan River. Um, I think it's possibly called the Princeton Hospital. But anyway, it's it's in Woodbridge, Virginia, and Woodbridge, Virginia does um, border the Occoquan. So, so this has been a part of my journey, is understanding the meaning behind the names of the places that have gone into significant markers of me and my ancestry and heritage. What is all in this blood and in these bones that ha that are leading and making up my experience? Um, last year, I went on a journey with the word Woodbridge, 
um, and maybe I, I can get into that in a later in a later um, episode but for now uh, I'm I'm delighted to have this synchronized kind of piece of research pop up just um, very serendipitously right now today uh, and it I'll have to be feeling into that what it means and what it feels like in my mind and in my body to now know that I was born on the river and on the land that the native people considered at least one of the places where the great spirit lived. You know, there's many tributaries that empty into the Chesapeake Bay. There's many rivers that empty out into large bodies of water. But this one, they called Occoquan, which means in English, at the end of all the water. And Mary Jane Schneider's research is showing us that at the end of all the water is where the Great Spirit lived. So, and then the next sentence is, we lived at the far end of the water. I was born at the far end of the water in Woodbridge, Virginia on the Occoquan River. So more to come on that as I unpack the meaning of it. I'm just so delighted to be able to share, um, to receive, to receive this piece of information from MJ Schneider, um, who is no longer with us, by the way. I don't think I've mentioned that yet. Um, I'd, I'd have to get the date of her actual passing. Um, but I met her in 2009. And so 13, 14 years later, um, I'm just now opening this treasure trove that she gave me in the wilderness path. Um, you know, first with my daughter and my beloved at bedtime, and now again, um, in this, in this kind of podcast content, uh, context, uh, to both share this book because it's out of print, um, and also to hopefully bring in income that I can specifically direct towards, um, uh, reprinting this book along with two others that are possibly even more important to a larger, a larger community of people, um, in the in the history niche of uh, the Boyertown community, so further, um, I I I would share that I'd like to share that I started reading this book when I lived in Williams Township, which is two counties over or so from Berks County. I started reading this to my daughter. And we only got through the first couple chapters, um, and it just wasn't interesting her. She was just bored with it, um, which is funny because we've read things like Earth Shapers and um, um, The Longhouse People, you know, like other books about, about Native history um, on these lands here in the U.S., um, but this just wasn't striking us at that time, so we put it back on the shelf. Um, and we, I decided to pick it back up when two years later we moved to Berks County, which is closer to where this, um, this historical fiction takes place. It kind of is like from the Ole Valley 
through over and through to the Susquehanna Valley and then up north um, as the book progresses. That's kind of the territory that it covers. So um, when we started reading it in Berks County, um, there was, it clicked. It clicked for her. She was interested. Um, and then my beloved, who um, is a researcher, a synchromistic historical researcher, um, he heard us reading it and then he joined in because it was so striking to hear about all of these places and how, as the story unfolds, we could learn about some of the significance of these places that we are so deeply connected to. Um, and, and lastly, I guess what I'll share um, in, in this segment is when we came to Berks County, um, it was a, a natural homecoming for me because I grew up in Berks County, but it was a ancestral homecoming for my beloved, my partner. He has uh, his great, 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 I forget how many greats, but several greats back, enough greats that it was the first, the first of his people, of his family that came on the boat they came over and they settled in Amityville, which is just 20 minutes down the road from where we were living in Berks County. So the day that we signed the lease for this farmhouse rental in Berks County, we went and visited the church where research shows um, his ancestors were married. And we thought we might find the tombstones of, of his great-great-grandfather grandfather and his wife um, and so we went to Amityville, we went to the church in Amityville, we found it, we found very old cemetery, um, and we did find some tombstones that were, that had interesting names on them, and one of the most interesting names to me, you know, uh, I don't think it was until much later that a friend found a possible tombstone that had my partner's great-great-great-great-grandfather's name on it. But I found a tombstone that said Hannah Widener. And to my knowledge, um, she's not in my direct family tree. Um, but I, the, the ethos that I follow <laughs> in this work that I've been doing in my personal journey is that if it sounds like it, it is it. That to me makes more sense and is more relevant than... Um, relying on records that have potentially been mismanaged or manipulated or missing because of all the things that I know from from being an academic researcher at the University of Pennsylvania to being just an on-the-ground gr grassroots researcher. Um, you can't really rely on old historical records. Uh, so many records have been repressed not um, not taken care of and so there's like certain pieces and parts missing um, so I like to rely on intuition and well what does it sound like what does it sound like to my ear what does it sound like to my heart um, and what does it lead me on to is it leading me on to a good and helpful path so finding a tombstone that said Hannah Widener and my name is my maiden name is Christiana Widener, 
um, I was very delighted. It was quite the homecoming um, for me, um, ancestrally, and also just, you know, that's where I grew up. And then that the fact that my, my partner shared this with me in a very deep way, he had just completed a bunch of his own family history, family tree history, and was able to identify this spot. It was so special for us. And then to pick this book up and to find out all this information that has been cataloged and written in, in a poetic way that we could enjoy with my 10 year old, um, just magic, just totally pure magic. Um, that I'm so grateful to MJ Schneider. I'm so grateful that I got to interview her and meet her and that I can do something so that her work continues to be available and continues on past the ending of her physical life form. Um, so this chapter, chapter two, where um, Sunrising is is kind of declaring that he will not move on from this land. This land is his home. This land is where his family was was birthed and grown. Um, I have a, a I have a lot of deep conflicted feelings because I know that my my ancestors from this land are part of the reason that he was faced with his con this conflict and his son wandering deer. Um, was forced to make a hard choice to leave his family. Um, but I also feel a kinship with, with Sunrising about, about the land and about home and family. Um, and I acknowledge that the land itself is sovereign. Um, and I do believe that even Sunrising did never, did never own the land. Um, but he was looking to be in harmonious relationship with the land. And unfortunately, where my ancestors were coming from, there was already a disruption in the ability to live in harmony with the land. And so when they came here, we enacted, my ancestors enacted the same kind of twisted relationship with the land that had occurred back in the Germanic, Germanic Swiss um, areas of, of Europe along the Rhine, which we're going to get to in a couple of chapters um, when we start to hear the story of the white settlers. Um, and so that's by no means an excuse, um, but I want to acknowledge the land and I want to acknowledge the humanness that we all feel or that we all have the potential to feel, the, the human feeling of connection and harmony with the land and with the living creatures of the land and the kinship that I feel with sunrising and also the grief and sorrow that I feel um, for what my ancestors brought upon the land and upon the people of the land. And even further back, what was brought upon my ancestors that they were so blind to see what they were doing to the harmonious connection and relationship that these people had already with the land. Um, and I won't get into this now and I don't really have a space where I share much about this, but I've been living quite the alternative lifestyle to come into relationship, uh, a harmonious relationship with my natural surroundings. Um, and you know, part of it is coming to terms with the fact that houses are natural. Um, 
they were made by natural hands. Um, I think the only thing I can say that's not natural is some of the artificial intelligence um, <laughs> that is kind of helping me bring this to you. So I'm grateful for it, um, but I am also aware about using it with great care and tact. It's quite the balancing act, to quote Dr. Seuss, um, but I am grateful for it. And maybe someday I'll have space to share or direct you to, if you're interested, to, he to hear and learn about my journey um, in coming into greater harmony in my everyday lifestyle um, with the land. So with that said, thank you. Thank you for listening to chapter two and the chapter two kind of personal discussion. And the next segment will be, oh, chapter three, Along the Rhine. So we're going to open up the story about um, the white settlers um, and my ancestors who came on this land. All right. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.